Get ready, golf lovers. The boys are teed up and ready to go. Backspin. Thanks to Inside Golf. Welcome to another episode of Backspin, brought to you by Inside Golf Magazine, Australia's most read golfing publication. My name is Larry Canning, has been for a while now. Right next to me is Super Coach Gary Barter. Hello, Gaz. Hello, mate. Big show. Three interviews, Gary, mm. this show. Yeah, I'm looking um, forward to it. The first one, we're going to be talking to Aussie golf legend, current chairman of the Australian PGA, Roger Davis. We are still on the very eve of our two big tournaments, the Australian PGA and the Australian Open. Roger, being the chairman of the Australian PGA, knows a lot more about the game in Australia than we do. It'll be fascinating to listen to Roger, course superintendent from the Australian Golf Club, Dan Cook. This is going to be fascinating because he's prepared the golf course for the Australian Open, of course, which is coming up in a couple of weeks. Yeah, he'll give us some great insights. He's a He's obviously probably one of the best in the world at what he does. He's very humble, but the reality is he's done a lot of work at Augusta. He's actually worked. Yeah, he's actually physically that. worked at Augusta for a wow. few years, and we're going to mainly talk about the Australian Open, but his experience in setting up a golf course, not only just for the members to enjoy their golf, but setting up a golf course for a, our major championship, mm. it's going to be great to talk to him. We've also got 2022 Aussie PGA champion, Jed Morgan on the show, 23-year-old Jed Morgan. He's had just had two years with Live Golf, has been relegated, but is going to go through the, the, the school. I think it's got a different term, the Live people Yeah, it's call. like a qualifying series. Qualifying series. To get his card back, he lost his card, but uh, yeah, given his ability and his experience, we shouldn't, we don't see a problem with him regaining that, I wouldn't have thought, guys. But uh, just to his experience playing against the likes of, and alongside the likes of Phil Mickelson, Dustin Johnson, thrown in the deep end, how did he cope with it? He's an interesting character and pretty confident, but it'll be interesting. He's very, very good. Yeah. I've seen him play a lot of golf. Can play, can play his pill. He's very good. I've trialled the Callaway Apex Utility Wood, Gary. And given my experience with this trialling, and I gave it extensive trialling. In fact, I nearly hurt myself a couple of times trying to hit it hard, soft, low, would you, high. Would you hit six balls? I hit seven. Okay. Yeah, no, and it was it was quite windy, and sun was quite hot, and there was flies everywhere. It was things I do for the show. Interesting, and I've got a tip. I'm taking over tip role uh, this show, guys, mm-hmm. based on my experience with this utility wood. Our spit at the end of the show, it's more of a spruik by Rory McElroy, who announced last week he was standing down from the PGA Tour Players Advisory Council. We're not sure all the reasons why, but we do know that um, he will definitely, he's had to represent the PGA Tour against all things that were legal for so long and then it, then it all changed yeah, he, got, he got definitely got beaten up yeah he's, he's been belted yeah so um, but he was playing some great golf in the middle mm. of all these buildings but he mentioned the Australian Open in part of his resignation speech he was asked what the golfing landscape should or could look like going forward and he mentioned Opens country Opens like Canadian Opens Scottish Opens but he focused on the Australian Open and he said the names on that cup that deserves that tournament to be back up it was regarded as our as the fifth major. Yes, it has been mentioned. Like so from we'll talk about 25, that. 30 years ago. And then, yeah, with the players inside the ropes, the Australian Open still has a lot of credibility. Mm. The best way to get that, to drive that forward, is to turn it into something that's part of the PGA Tour. And I think that's where he's talking about. Gary, we're going to be back to talk about what's just happened on the PGA Tour. Some extremely relevant wins. And then after that, we'll get into the interviews. Thanks, guys. We'll be right back. <laughs> Gaz, the Ryder Cup turned up a couple of surprise selections from both sides, the American and the, and the European side, but I think the most controversial was Adrian Moronk, our current Australian Open champion, being passed over by Ludwig Aberg, mm. the Swedish player who we haven't heard a lot. Well, we've, we're hearing it a lot about him very quickly, but the guy turned pro in June. So given that, and given what Moronk had done this, this in 2023 slash 22, it seemed absurd that he was picked over Moronk. But since then, thing he has just lit up the world of golf. He played beautifully in the Ryder Cup, but now he's just won his first PGA Tour event. Didn't even have a card. I think he won his fourth ago. or fifth pro event, didn't he? Or he was yeah, he's yeah in, he did. Europe. Yeah, in Europe. Yeah, Ludwig Aberg. Yeah, Tell he, me what you think of Ludwig Aberg. He's 24 years old, Swedish. Yeah, he just looks like. You know, looking at the next superstar, I think, in world golf. Have to be. This week, he was, I think he led strokes gained tee to green, and on top of that, 28 putts around, and that's going to get it done anywhere in the world, isn't it? But his swing looks great. His demeanor looks great. He was asked after he'd won today, was he, does he get nervous? He doesn't, he looks, I think they call him the Iceman. 
they compared him to Henrik Stenson, the analysts on the coverage. And he said, yeah, look, I do get nervous, but it's, you know, I see it as a privilege to be out here playing. It was a dream of mine to be out here. He looks like the real deal, doesn't he? Yeah, nine under his last round, 29 under for the tournament, a tournament record. Beat the likes of, uh, well, Mackenzie Hughes, a very experienced Canadian player. He beat him by four. Eric Cole's having a fantastic year. Beat him by seven. So it's... um. It, it not only does he have the game, does he have the ability to, to play and go low and putt and chip, like you said, but when the pressure is on, when it really means something, and this is this is a life, well, I guess it was going to happen anyway. We were sort of half expecting it, but this is very early, this victory on the PGA Tour, which now gives him a, a, a two-year exemption, Masters. game in the Masters. Yeah, it's just happening so quickly for the guy. Clearly, he has mental strength um, mm. above and beyond most, almost like, would dare we say, a Cam Smith type. Yeah, well, Cam's definitely got that. He's proven that. And to be that elite of the elite and to finish 61-61, I think he finished two sixty ones in the weekend, is pretty to, impressive. To so. win, to win, though. Mm. That's always the thing that gets me, to win. You, 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 can, you see those scores shot quite a bit on the... PJ Tour, but when it really, when you got to do it to change your life and you do it, wow, that's a that's a serious talent, mental talent, strength he has. So Ludwig Aberg, we're looking for great things, clearly, major wins, and what level would you say? Could he be one of the best on the planet? Yeah, well, in time will tell. You look at all the other battles he's going to face from now on in the media, expectation, just coming from where he's come from, now he's got the expectation on his back, he's got the target on his back. The other really good players, whether it's John Rahm or Rory, they're definitely going to be looking at him with a lot more seriousness mm-hmm. now. You know, he's got to be looking at those guys in major championships with three holes to play, looking them in the eye and want to take them down. Yeah, because yeah. at that point, you know, we don't play rugby league or, you know, contact sport and run into each other, but they're really aggressive mentally at the guys that are at that level. So we'll see how he goes in that environment. Guys, we've also seen... A couple of late entries into the Australian PGA, uh, Joaquim Neiman and uh, Mito Pereira. This is the two Chilean players. We, we know about Neiman and we, we, we know about both of them, really. They're, sad, so, sad, they're so good. Sad. They are unbelievable. They're so both, good. Both play the live tour. Yeah. They're, they can play on, on the Australian tour. God knows what sort of rules and regulations allow that, but we don't need to worry about that. They're playing. They need world ranking points. Obviously, they're not going to get them. That we've, that, that's been announced recently by the world rankings people, Peter Dawson. Jeez, I can't stand that bloke. Sorry. He's <laughs> a lovely man. He speaks. He's a lovely man. I want to look away. You know, anchored puttings. He banned that when when I was seeing people that couldn't play unless they had an anchored putter. And when he banned it across the whole whole thing, amateur and professional, I thought that was terrible. Anyway, a side issue. Um, that should have been your spit. No, oh, it was I, every week for about five shows. Oh, row, okay. Yes, and I wrote it in Mag, and I wrote it in Inside Golf, I wrote it everywhere. But world ranking points for those guys, like they, they're going to get pretty decent fields, as in world ranking player fields in the Australian Open mm, and the PGA, yes. so there'll be some value for them to knock off one or two of these events or have top finishes. They don't want to slip outside the top 100. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy that they are, but anyway, that, that's another story for mm. another show. So, Joachim Neiman, Mito Pereira, uh, we, we, you've been up close and personal to them on watching Matty play the live golf stuff, and uh, you can see how good they both are. Different types of players. What would you meet as more a very, ball hitter, smasher? They're just very, very artistic, very sort of organic players that have grown up playing golf with clearly not a lot of science, clearly yeah. not a lot of insights into all the specifics that most of the other players have. They're very natural looking players, yep. very competitive very adaptable, great win players. Just those players that have that 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 one percent that other players don't have, like recovery shots. Mm. Yeah, I'm not going to say they're like Balasiris, but it's almost like no matter where you see their ball, and no matter how you would think this shot is not on, they'll find something. Yeah, yeah they've learned how to play, not so much swing. Exactly. So they're great for anyone that goes out of the golf. Definitely go and watch those mm. play. Okay, guys, we'll be right back with our interview with Roger Davis. Backspin with Larry Canning and Gary Barter.
Ah. Well, Gary, our first guest, I call him an Aussie legend in our intro, and I believe he is. He's played all around the world. He's represented Australia in World Cups. Came so close to winning the British Open twice, Australian Open champion. His name is Roger Davis, of course, and he's also, probably more importantly these days, has taken on the role of Australian PGA chairman. It's a massive role, and he's been guiding the ship through some weird waters, hasn't he, over the last few years, given what's been going on in the landscape with COVID and then live golf and stuff. But he's on the line right now. Welcome to the show, Roger. Roger Davis. Well, it's great to be on again, Lazar. Rog, we're obviously on the eve of our two big events, the Australian PGA and the Australian Open. I thought, who better to talk to about the significance of an Australian winning an Australian Open, an Australian PGA for that matter, or, although you didn't win one, I believe, which is um, kind of hard to believe because I look, just looked at your record. There was the only thing you didn't win, wasn't it, the Australian PGA? Did yeah, you come close? I came close, yeah, but, you know, coming second is always forgotten, you know. That. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. <laughs> we, we never, we've never even got to come second. Second would have been. I'd have remembered coming second if I'd have come second in the Australian PJ. Yeah, the only, the only good thing about coming second is your bank balance. Yeah, you get money. Yeah, yeah. It was, which was interesting. Last show, Roger, we were talking to Jimmy Emmanuel from Golf Australia about yeah. the Asia Pacific Amateur Championship and that playoff. I don't know whether you caught. Were you there? I went down for the week, but I, uh, I took off on the. Um, I I had a big dinner on the Saturday night, and I took off Sunday morning, so I didn't didn't actually oh, see okay. the last round. Yeah, with just with just the pressure that was on those guys, on the three guys in the playoff, got down to two because you, just as you mentioned there, that coming second when you're a professional, you get nice money. But that that event, um, you know, the winner gets a start in the Masters, the Open, all kinds of uh, publicity management people will be interested in in whoever wins. But the second guy gets not a razoo. Yeah, he gets nothing. Now the only thing with coming second is the management groups will still be having a bit of a look yeah, at you. But yeah. I agree, you don't get the Open or the Masters and stuff. Back to the Australian summer coming up, the big Australian summer. We've had some tournaments played already and some fantastic young winners who will be competing in these two events. Gary and I were talking before we, we got you on air, Rog, about do we need, uh, given the field that we have for these two events and given the, the classiness when it's all Australian-born players, uh, do we need the good Jordan Spieth still or, or do we need the Rory McIlroy's to come down and play our Open? Well, it's the affordability factor. You know, the live event has all players in it because they're paid huge fees. I mean, if we tried to run a live event, for instance, I'd send the PGA broke within six months. Yeah. <laughs> we just can't afford it. But the, the big plus at the moment is, like, Jochen Neiman is still in the top 100 in the world rankings. So he's entered because he's in that position. Uh, same with about two or three others because they want world ranking points. The other big plus, which happened to uh, Adrian Moronk last year. He was like 63rd, I think, in the world ranking. And he came down, he played the PGA, he played well in our tournament, but then he went on and won the Australian Open. He went from 62nd or 63rd to 48th and got into Augusta. Mm, mm. You know, and he's coming back. You know, and the Open. Well, he won the Open. Well, in my opinion, you always defend titles, but you know, he's come back to our event as a thank you for uh, for getting him mm. into Augusta. He's had an amazing year. He's won four times. I know. I can't believe he didn't get in Ryder Cup. Oh, it was stunning, that, wasn't it? But then you yeah. look at the look at the guy that got in ahead of him, Aberg, Ludwig Aberg, who has just oh. won in, in America. Have, have, yeah, you, have you been watching him, Gary? Have you been yeah. watching his progress? Yeah, he's... Since he, the Ryder Cup, he's been he stunning. May, yeah, he may be the next superstar. He could be. He's a world beater. Roger, have you seen him play at all? Have you, have I haven't, but... I'd heard about him. Yeah, okay. You know, the rumours were out. He won on his sixth yeah. attempt yep. in a golf tournament. He had featured, he'd featured yeah. every week before yeah, then. I think they picked him in the Ryder Cup and he hadn't even played a major. No, he hadn't. No. He hadn't teed up. No. It's three yeah. months he was a pro. Mm. <laughs> See, Look in at the, the old days, yep. you couldn't do that. And this is where, you know, everything's changing. In the old days, I think you had to play on tour for like two and a half years before... You qualify. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> These days, you know, everyone sort of, with the communications, everyone knows how good a player is before he even comes out, you know. And amateur events are bigger and better than they ever were, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Certainly are. But our, our field's pretty awesome, though, isn't it, at the Oz? Like the Australian yep. Open field. Australian PJ, Australian Open, it's, it's a fantastic field, yeah. Yeah, like I just was looking at the players. Even though we mightn't have a Rory, the quality of the field is still 
very, very strong. And in saying that, for instance, McElroy, you know, uh, forget him, and he's most probably valued. He's a bit sort of tigerish in some ways, where you know, when Tiger came down to Kingston Heath and it cost them three million, the state government they reckon it generated something like twenty-one million mm. with people going down the peninsula and playing golf and you know for a week and going to the tournament for one day. McElroy sort of most probably is in that position. You know, his fees mm. most probably two and a half, three million. But one thing I heard the other day about Rory, he goes back to Ireland for two weeks and doesn't charge him an appearance fee. Yeah, yeah. He's given back to his tour. Okay, interesting. Which is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. He seems like, uh, you, you'd have met him, Rog, wouldn't you, Rory? Yeah, he's a really nice guy. He's real, isn't he? We see him interviewed on TV and stuff, so it's kind of a little bit masked and filtered, but uh, just off the course, um, without a camera there, he's still, I believe, just a champion bloke. Very natural. And he's resigned from the PJ Tour board over there, I see, in the, in the States. Has he? I yeah. didn't see that. No, he's resigned. He's stood down. Done his job, and given how well he played while he was doing that job and copying it left, right, and centre from the media, which it was stunning to see what he was doing on the course, wasn't it? So imagine what he would have yeah. done without that. It's like a tire off from around his neck removed, and um, and he'll definitely be playing well. Jason Day, I believe, having his nineteenth child, so he's he's not playing. <laughs> <laughs> You're the only one missing. But the likes of Cam yeah. Smith, it's good to see Cam Smith, Cam Davis, Leash, and all all our guys coming back. Is and Minwoo Lee. I, I know you've seen Minwoo play. Gary yeah. and I are stunned with the talent this. Guy has you'd be the same. Oh yeah, he's uh, and and Lucas Herbert as well. Yeah, of course, yes, the, yep. the two of them, both of them are playing well. But uh, Min Wu, you know, for Bree's build, I can't believe he hits at that bar. Gary, I mean, how does he do that? He's just look. He's just one of those kids. He's always hit it long. He's, he's but he like, isn't built. But he's, he's like he's, he's tiny. Yeah, you look at you look at a lot of kids, and they they've just got that fast twitch. They've got. They've got the range. They've got the strength. They, they that collision of impact. They you know look at it's like looking at a great rugby league player tackle. Yeah. You know it's it's sort of there's something that some people have and some people don't. I, I'm sure Roger, you know when you played uh, when we played, it was more built on precision and accuracy and navigating your way around the course. But the kids now are definitely have a power component attitude even from 14, 15 going to the gym, college players, it's definitely, it's, it's, the game is changing in that regard. But Min Woo, yeah, he's just, he's got, as Matt Jones would say, he's sort of got gorilla power. What's your take on the modern game, Rog? Obviously, I'll put Gary and I in your period of when you were at the top of your game, we were playing, um, we were mm-hmm. down the other end of the field. <laughs> but you were, actually, we were you, you, you were actually pretty long. I was, was going to say that. Yeah, yeah, you were actually pretty long in yeah, for like, I, like I, for uh, like back then, weren't you? Yeah, not too bad. I, I sort of was always in the top sort of 5%. That's what I thought, and, um, into, and into the breeze too, like even though, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I did notice, So, like you wouldn't even remember, but you, you played with, you played with Parry and... Aussie Moore in 87 at the Aussie, and the ninth hole was into the breeze. And Aussie Moore was a really long hitter back then, wasn't he? Mm-hmm, yep. But he, very spinny. And I, I reckon you got him by 40 yards into the breeze off the ninth <laughs> tee. It was, like, it was like a low knuckle Yeah, but, we, but without a hook. That's what I'm saying, Never yeah. It, yeah, so, but it is definitely an advantage. There's no doubt about it, the length. Yeah. But, then, but, but the, if, if you don't have power... Don't even think of turning pro. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we got some stats through the other day that'll just blow people's minds out. You know, when John Rahm had that three months where, you know, he mm. just fired on all six cylinders, they put all these cards through a computer because, you know, the handicap system's standardised now throughout the world. So they put all these cards in, in the system to see what sort of handicap he'd play off. And... The guy at the time who was 125 on the money list, they put all his cards through as well. And in the old days, people would come up to me and they'd say, oh, Roger, my, you know, my son, you know, can you tell me if he's got a chance of turning pro? And it was the hardest question ever because, mm. you know, the way I used to sort of get away with it in, in some ways was, you know, if he's good enough to play for Australia, he may make it on the tour. But in saying that, Gary Player... When he started off, couldn't crack an egg, nor could David Graham. Mm. But hard work and, you know, got him through. But John Rahm, they put all these cards through, getting back to the subject, 
and he was plus 10.6. The amazing thing was the guy who was 125 was plus 9.1. Ah, okay. Wow. 1.5 difference between the best in the world and most probably at the time 125 on the money list and the PGA Tour is most probably 150th in the world. Mm. Right? And it's only one and a half shots. That is unbelievable. That's absolutely amazing. So the power in the game, and you know the the thing I I, I watch, I still watch golf because I like it, and I watch the men's tour and the ladies' tour, and both tours just amaze me how good their short games are. Yeah. You know, they their short games now are far better than ours. We had a guy like Chevy, you know, we had the odd sort of person, but. Everyone's short game now is just to die for, you know? The short game has become, obviously, it's always been important, but more important given how far the ball goes as well, Roger. So those two points sort of lock together, don't they, where they're hitting the ball that far that they're hitting such short yardages. I mean, all the clubs are different lofts and strength stronger now than they used to be, but they're still, you know, how many par fours does Rory hit anything more than a wedge into it? It wouldn't be many, would it? Oh, no. And the thing is that, you know, most of the really good golf courses are landlocked. So they really can't go back yeah. any further. So, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of discussion going on at the moment between the USGA, the RNA, the tours, and the alliance. You know, the, like the club professionals, mm. the PGA, mm. and um, on what we're going to do. You know, mm. um, it's, it's already sort of ruled out two golf balls. We don't think that's the way you, you should go because golf is such a healthy game at the moment. Memberships are yeah. full. Everything's full. And all of a sudden, take away off your club champion 20% of his yardage. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> He's not yeah. going to be real happy. No, <laughs> that's right. It's a terrible path to have to go down, isn't it, and address. You can't win. There's always going to be a losing um, aspect to that argument, isn't there? You coming up yes. to the uh, PGA? Yeah, I'll be there yeah. Thursday, Thursday morning. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, the Australian Open, of course. Yeah, yep. gibbering stuff on radio to people that are interested <laughs> in some, <laughs> some golfing <laughs> dribble from a, a veteran old nothing. What am I, Gary? Yep. Must be something. What can you tall? I'm tall. A lovely swing. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> a, 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 a retired tournament player. Oh, thank you. Club That's pro, it. active journalist. Active. Okay. Yeah. Active. And, uh, and does active mean people read it or you just write it? I mean, I'm active writing it. The people read and a it. Fiddler on the range with your swing. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Well, it's a great summer of golf coming up, Roger. Thank you for being part of the show. I look forward to catching up with, as everyone does, a chairman of the Australian PGA and a good mate yeah, of ours mate, on the well, show. Well done with that, mate. Yeah, thank okay. you. On yeah, behalf of all, you. all the PGA so members much. in the country, mate, for that, for what you've done. Yeah, thank you. Catch up, boys. Thanks, Catch Roger. Mate. See you, mate. Okay, bye. Spin with Larry Canning and Gary Barter. Gaz, who potentially could be the most important person at the Australian Open? Could it be the person that prepares the golf course and has done so for the last six months for yeah. the Open? I think it probably is. It'd have to be. We've got him on the show. Yeah, it's exciting getting him on. Yeah, Dan Cook, the superintendent from the Australian Golf Club. Dan Cook. G'day, Dan. Welcome to the show. Yes, well, from there it's only down, right? <laughs> yeah, it can only go down, mate, from here, yeah. Obviously, flat out getting ready. Are you still? Is everything in place? Are you happy with the, with the way the course is being set up? Yeah, I think obviously it's a pretty big lead up and timing is probably key. A lot of people kind of talk to us and say, good luck with the weather. But we know the weather's inconsistent. So for us, it's all about making some adjustments as the, the weather changes. And so far, so good. The weather has been on our side and we've been making the necessary adjustments. So we're pretty comfortable at this point. How much work goes in? I know it's pretty hard to quantify how much work goes into preparing a golf course for an Australian Open. But just the, the things that the, the listeners may not be aware that you have to do to get this golf course ready. I mean, I think it, it all starts kind of three or four, maybe five months ago in the spring renovations. So conditioning the grass. And we could be kind of a little bit considered like farmers, you know. We do a lot of work early and then it takes a little while for the the fruits of our labour to kind of show themselves. And I think that's the same with us. So we did all of our work in spring. We did our fairway renovations. We did our greens renovations and we've allowed the weather to come to us. And I don't know, for for me, sometimes I'm up the front of the ship and there's 20, 22 guys and girls behind me and those guys have been doing fantastic work. So we're starting to see the fruits of our labour kind of come to bear. When you say there's 22 behind you, during the course of the week of the Australian Open, do you get more help, more machines or you're covered there? Yeah, we definitely do. We, We reach out to some like-minded clubs and some clubs are helping us out as are some of our suppliers. We also reach out, we have a group of volunteers coming so I think this year we have 35 volunteers from all around the world coming to join us. Um, 
some superintendents, some assistants and some industry folks. So they will definitely provide us with uh, with a whole heap of help. Do you go to any other tournaments? I do. I'm lucky to uh, to head over to the Masters every uh, year. That's where I was heading. Um, I wanted to ask you, and I, and, and no would have put a kibosh on the rest of the conversation, so I wasn't going to ask, but yeah, okay, so you've done that. So, Dan, how long have you been doing that for? I worked there full-time in 2007 till 2009, so that's where I, I cut my teeth, so to speak, and got exposed. I had done PGA Championship and done some LPGA events and PGA events, but that was the first time I had seen the Masters when I was working there full-time. And then I've been back every year since, except for a couple of COVID years. So Tell us more about that. Tell us about ah. Augusta. The membership, did you meet all the... Do you deal directly with the Fred Redleys and the Ward Hardens and the... Whoever else has been the chairman of that place? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I don't get too dragged away from the Australian Open because... Uh, my backstory is one thing, but the uh, this event is is really cool, and it, at the Australian Golf Club and all of that stuff is super cool. So, but my Augusta story is really cool. I I'm involved, and I was involved quite heavily when I was there. I still go back, and I'm part of the setup committee. So there is a committee that uh, got to choose where the holes and markers go, and actually put them out every day. So a fun group to be involved with, and yeah, to really understand the dynamics and and that place is. Is super special and, and it does never get old. And that the famous 16th hole that we see every year with that pin position that you guys put in, the precision of that for that ball to navigate its way, is there a window that the players can hit it in that if the ball's rolling at the right speed, there's a big chance of it going in? Is that like an exact spot you put it every single year? Yeah, I mean, I will I'll definitely choose my words carefully, but they do use GPS technology and it's sub-centimetre GPS, which means they break a centimetre up into 100 parts. So, so not that precise? Um, no, not that precise. I mean, <laughs> yeah, just, just stick your thumb up, yeah. uh, lick your thumb and stick it up and maybe the wind will catch it. But <laughs> I think realistically, the club does know some really good pin locations and they have a lot of historic data to support that. We will go ahead and, and mark that spot. We'll go ahead and throw some balls up the hill and watch them roll down and between us, we'll kind of pick a spot we like, go ahead and cut it and Hope for the best, but to answer your question more directly, Gary, I think uh, there is a pretty good size window beyond the cup on that kind of catches mitt area we would kind of mm. refer to it as that feeds balls down, and uh, it's a pretty generous window. So if those guys kind of get it up in there, they're, they're a good chance. We were watching it every year. Obviously, I'm I'm uneducated with the stimp of the greens at Augusta. Is that something that is? consistent or is it just up to you guys to decide during that week with whatever the weather conditions are because with the topography of the greens and the shape of the greens I've been lucky to be there once it's definitely when you're there it looks greater than when you're watching on the tv what are they running at around about normally two points straight out of that Gary is if you're uneducated then I should not be on this podcast (laughs) Um, that'd definitely be a lead out because I'm just a glorified grass mower right so let's Let's establish that pretty early on in this podcast. <laughs> the green speed, it's a really interesting story and probably something that's a little bit misunderstood. Augusta can be deemed secretive, and they're not secretive. They are not governed by the USG as its own entity, so it runs its own event, and that comes back from its inception as a invitational event way back in the day with Bobby Jones. That being said, they don't have to comply or abide by any rules set by an organisation other than themselves. So they do have the option on green speed. That number they don't release. The reason they don't release it, again, is not for secrecy. It's because a lot of clubs, presidents, pros, everyone watches the Masters and has some aspirations to be like Augusta. But the resource pool that Augusta draws from is almost unmatched. So the reason they do keep it secret or or private is probably a better word, is just because they don't want clubs to be compared to that number and, and have, you know, someone on Saturday morning say, well, you know, Augusta was this, we should be the same. The reason they can get their greens so fast is because they have the top 50 players and qualifiers. So it is absolutely the top... Gary, you could help me with this, but what is it, the top 5% of pros or the top 1% of pros? They don't have a lot of qualifiers or things like that, as do other tournaments, so... No. They're able to really test these guys. Yeah, exactly. With our tournament, we've got at the Aussie, the Australian Open, we obviously have a governing body. You have to comply with, if they come up with our greens, I'll make up a number, should be running at 12, you you have to cut them at 12. Is that how it works? Yeah, I think that's right. So our the director of the tournament is Trevor Hurden from Golf Australia, and he will tell us, he'll give us some targets. Um, we will work with Trevor as best we can and, and try and hit his targets. and. 
if we can have any influence to, to make his targets and our targets align, that's always great. If not, he is our boss for the week and we'll take all the instruction from the tournament. And that, that could be anywhere from fairway height, rough height, green yeah, speed. sand and bunkers, how they raked, how they raked and stuff like that. Yeah, Dan's had a big job because we've we you, you had to redo all our bunkers, didn't you? In a, in a short time. Oh, I was yeah, out there watching it. It was incredible. We did. So I think I've been at the club for 18 months and identified really on was some things they wanted me to, to look at or focus on was definitely the greens, furnace and speed, the landscape and uh, the bunkers. The bunkers here were, you know, 12 years old and, and not performing. The sand was not a bad sand, but it didn't drain. So the course, in effect, being on a sand belt wasn't really weatherproof. We've just come through... The wettest uh, year, or last year, the wettest year, I think we had 2,600 mils in a year, and the bunkers were definitely a weak point of the club. So I proposed to the club a bunker renovation, which we went through. So the the pinch point was that we had 17 weeks to do it, and we did 8,000 square metres in 17 weeks, which was a Herculean effort by the team. We engaged Atlas Golf. Those guys were phenomenal. Our internal team was absolutely phenomenal, and I was able to work with Chris Cochran from Nicholas Golf, who, who built this place in regards to the shapes. And I think we've come up with something that, that is visually appealing and playability-wise. It's absolutely appealing. We're still working on some firmness of faces, but overall, we're, we're really happy. They were weatherproof tested Saturday week ago. Saturday night, Sunday morning, we had 55 mils or two and a quarter inches on the old scale. Uh, we didn't have any washouts, so wow. really happy with that. It was perfect because it was right in front of our club champs semi-finals and we had ladies club champs on the Monday into a Melbourne Cup shotgun and onto a Tuesday into our regular members comp on a Wednesday. So previously the bunkers would have been GUR for several days and we were able to avoid that and also use our labour kind of where we wanted to use it rather than uh, rectification work. But um, if I push back or segue back to your original question, Trevor and I have been working together for probably six months in regards to heights of cut for rough, bunker preparation, things like that. So definitely don't want to give any of the listeners kind of some perception that he just kind of jumps out and springs stuff on us. We definitely work together a long way out. We talk about some things and as it gets closer, probably the conversations get more strong and anything that's out of place, he'll he'll kind of bring to our attention really quickly. But yeah, it has been a, a relationship for probably six months now and he's on site as of today, which is a week leading in and yep, we'll fine tune it from here together. So is there an overall brief type thing, Dan? Is it like the scores were too low or too high or the ball, there was complaints about the ball not spinning or not or spinning too much or something? Is it? And then all these things are adjusted to make? Is it like a score set type mentality or, I don't or am I just uneducated like as well? <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, I think you're keeping good company today. Um, <laughs> but let's just say, I think the, the biggest difficulty for a tournament director is the weather and the unpredictable nature. So he obviously represents the players and he has to make sure that the players are comfortable with the golf course, has to represent the sponsors, has to fit it into a TV slot and, and sell advertising space, has to get patrons around. So he has, you know, I don't envy his position because he has a lot of balls in the air. No one wants to see, you know, 26 under win their event and no one... He doesn't want to see plus six win the event. Mm-hmm. So something in the middle of that, he has to play a balancing game and an act, and he does a good job of it. So I think he probably has a, a score in mind, and we haven't had this exact discussion. But I think what we're looking for is to make sure the event can be run and won and to make sure it can fit in its TV slot and make sure the players are happy and the members of the club who own this club are really happy with it, you know showing off their club on TV. And the girls playing the same course as the boys, there's got to there'd be some adjustments he would have to make. To Absolutely, that, yeah. yeah. And not to leave out the all abilities. Yeah, they, course, play yeah. the, they play the Thursday, Friday and Saturday as well. So we definitely uh, we have to think of those folks because they are part of this combined event. It's a really good initiative. I mean, I've got a young daughter myself who's eight years old and you can't be what you can't see, right? So she's going to see some of the best lady pros on the planet play the club that her dad looks after. And hopefully one day she knocks a ball around, she'll be what she can see. I think the course looks amazing. Like people will say to me that the Australian's always pretty good. And the players, I should say better than pretty good, but the players all love coming to the Australian. It feels like a big event. But I've been at the club for 35 years. And at this point, if we turn off tomorrow morning, at this point, it just seems really, really fair. Fairways are beautiful. I think you and I talked uh, six or seven weeks ago after you'd done the fairways and how firm they were and just that ball ground contact, just the way the divots cut. You know, there's a couple of years ago, the the surrounds were quite grainy. That's starting to get a bit like better now. So it's that beautiful balance now that I think will get a definitely a fair winner. Well, firstly, thank you for the compliments. And again, you know, I, I stand up the front of a bus of a team of 20 or 25 people. So 
realistically, uh, I'm just the bus driver and there's a bunch of people behind me, my staff, that are doing a fantastic job day in and day out. But um, all those things that you talked about, you know, there's probably a slight difference in philosophy. We, we The golf course used to be quite bony and hungry and lean and I'm okay with that because I think it provides really good playing surfaces, but I'm probably a little bit greener in the rough because I want to see a bit of definition and a bit of ball grab. So we've definitely added a bit of fertility to the, to the longer grass and hopefully... The players will kind of see a bit of value hitting the fairways rather than being in the rough. Yeah, it's perfect um, at the moment. I, I was out there Saturday afternoon and it's like the ball, when you drop the ball, say from knee height, and, and it's not going to come in like that exactly when they hit a tee shot, but you sort of see half the ball, half oh, it's down. Right, yeah, the first cut. It's it's exactly what it should be. So it's not going to be just, just chop and gouge and get it down there. It's... They will have the opportunity to get to the green, but then the disadvantage is the lack of spin, and then they've got to work out what the best place is to miss it, whether it's a bunker or a chip. It has that enough difficulty factor, but it's not stupid. That's what I like about it. Yeah, well, we'll take that as a compliment, so thanks. Yeah. But I, I think realistically, in regards to some other comments we talked about, you know, the, the surrounds, we've done a lot of work on. We've actually been dusting or applying sand to the surrounds to firm them up. We're going to roll them the week off, so they should firm up quite nicely for us leading into the event. The fairways are getting cut a little shorter than what they've been cut in the past because... You know, these guys just want really crisp contact and, and we're aware of that. So we have gone lower than the fairways have been cut here before. But I think overall our surfaces uh, should present really well and, and we're just really hoping that our members are proud of their golf club as it's on TV and, and hope that the players have a great week. And like Gary said, as long as an Aussie wins it, I'll be, I'll be really happy. <laughs> Who is going to win, Dan? Who's going to win? Well, I saw Matt Jones out there hitting some, some bombs the other day. He's been around and about. I'd love any of our guys to win it, you know, Sam Smith, Minwoo, Leash, even Mikalusi, I saw him win yesterday. Any of these guys that are our boys, let them win. That's all. Keep the cup at home. Good on you, Dan. Awesome, mate. Thanks so much for being yeah, on thank, our show, Dan. It's very, very much, insightful, mate. and uh, the listeners will be intrigued, as Gary and I were, with all that stuff. Thank you very much again. Thanks, no Dan. No problems at all. Thank you, mate. Bye. Bye. Gary, what a year or two years it's been for young Australian PGA champion in 222, Jed Morgan. You rate this guy as a massive talent, don't you? He's only 23 years old. He's played, live. He's now played against, alongside some of the greats of the game. 25 major championships on the live tour. Yeah, about 12, 15 Ryder Cuppers. Yeah, yeah. It's, you're going into a pretty big school there. Thrown in the big, yeah. big ocean. And he, he handled it well. He's uh, very, very impressive. I think it'll only be great for the rest of his career just to be teeing it up with those guys, competing against those guys. He's got no weaknesses in his game. And I look forward to him you know, being one of those guys that definitely top 50 player in the world, you know, winning a major. Could be more. We, we don't know. But he's definitely got his blue chip stock, that's for sure. He's, he's, you wouldn't believe it. He's on the line. Wow. Well, welcome to the show, Jed. Thank you for having me, guys. A lot to talk about with you, mate. I'm really fascinated to, um, I'm intrigued to hear your experience on the Live Golf. But but let's 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 put it back in perspective just for a moment. We've got the we're on the eve of the Australian PGA Championship. You won it in 2022. Extremely handsome. Yeah. Mm. No, I don't think anyone's won it by that many shots. Um, I know you you know the golf course pretty well, but that was an ex, an extremely um, let's say a one-off win that we won't see very often. So you can play your ball. It was very obvious that week. How's your game um, heading into the PGA? Are you in good shape? Yeah, no, it's been, it's been a good year so far. Everything, I think, post happened happened and a lot of learning that I didn't have uh, at the start of the year. So hopefully I can finish strong at the end of the year. You're 23 years old. My God, you're, you're still a little child. Are you, are you eating yeah. solids yet, Jed? You can, you can eat solids now on your own. <laughs> yeah, I'll stop drinking for a straw. <laughs> yeah, that's the way. <laughs> You're learning on the Live Golf Tour, and this is, uh, we haven't had a chance to talk to too many people about what that's like. Someone going in at such a young age, playing against the, the Brooks Kepkas, Dustin Johnsons, Mickelsons, playing with and against, teaming up with Cam Smith, you know, multi major champions. Let's start with what did you learn in terms of how they play, how they manage themselves around a golf course? Was there something that you was missing in your game that you had to work on? I think. Um I wasn't as blind going into it this year. I obviously had last year's experience to draw from, but even my effort last year came pretty quick. Like, obviously, it all came off the back of winning the uh, winning the PGA at the start of last year. So I wasn't really sure I was going to open as many floodgates. So obviously, absolutely blessed to have that start as a professional golfer. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty much the only one ever to start professional golf the way that I started in terms of having that financial security 
guys been playing the game for 20 years and never had that security, yeah. you know, and I've basically turned pro and won my fourth event and, yeah, it all kind of happened the way it did. So I'm thankful and very appreciative of everyone's support that I've had. And the thing is, too, yeah, the thing is too, Jed, like you've come off, you know, you're Australian amateur champion. You obviously had a stellar yeah. amateur career. And it, was, it wasn't like winning the PGA is something that it definitely wouldn't have surprised you. And it wouldn't have surprised like a lot of people around you, because clearly you've come in as a young guy with an amateur background. You hit the ball a long way, and like Jonesy won the Australian Open at the Australian on his home course. And as you know, you could you could win at RQ on your home course, but you still got to play golf, haven't you? Yeah, well, I missed the cut last year, obviously, and whilst I was a bit crook, I still missed the cut at my home track. And I'm, yeah, I can't remember the last time I shot over par at that golf course. You know, so still need to hit the golf ball, and you still need to make parts like. That stuff doesn't happen by itself, so I'm extremely proud of my efforts, I think. Just the way that I kept pushing myself to keep going. Um, obviously, that last day, a pretty big lead to sleep on, and I handled it, I think, as a professional should, and, and went out there and tried to win my more. And yeah, it was a, it was a Christmas week, <laughs> I'll put it that way. To, like I was, a couple of missed putts in there that went in sort of thing, so... Yeah, I don't really believe like a week like that's going to happen ever again because I said golf or stuff like that very often. Mm. Um, but hopefully, it's a memory that I could definitely bank my career off of. And yeah, well, you'd have beaten you'd have beaten anyone that week. It didn't matter who was in that field; you would have beaten yeah. the very best. And, and 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 just just go back to the live golf just for a second there, Jed, and, and the experience you had. Yeah. When was the when was the first time you looked up and and just thought that's Phil Mickelson right there and he's in my group? So yeah, I guess I didn't really play anything in, like before that that had that that size sort of field and sort of stuff in it. And I played the Memorial I think the week before the first live event and got to those events. And obviously I'm in the locker room with guys that I pretty much only seen on TV. I think Cam pretty much was the only one that I'd met outside of obviously when he signed it midway through last year. I'd known him, but everyone else I just basically got to know pretty quick. They all treated me very well, and I'm a pretty open and outgoing person, so I don't really mm. give too many people stiff sort of thing. I try and get to know a lot of people, and yeah, yeah I think... Intimidation at all, Jed? Did you feel any of that? I don't really feel a lot of intimidation, yeah, if I'm, if I'm honest, no. Until you kind of get on the golf course, you just got to think, I kind of just got to fake it until you make it a bit in that area, <laughs> like, your job is professional to act like you're in control yeah. of what you're doing and hopefully your brain and your body catches up to how you want to act I think and getting those events yeah I was, I was never never let myself get intimidated by anyone and that, although obviously, obviously those names are pretty hard to play against sometimes and those courses they're 90% of the live courses they're strong setups aren't they like they're oh, a lot yeah. of them are big boy golf courses aren't they well we played two three four Courses that had basically planned for host four or five courses that played the host major championships, mm. um, and were backup courses for basically courses like the US Open and stuff. And obviously, Doral, where they hosted the WGC for years, Pumpkin um, Ridge last year. That said, yeah, they're massive setups that, and they have, they have a tendency to throw pins on um, the pretty ordinary size slopes. So, we'll play some very tricky. Very tricky setup that I've never seen. Just playing in Australia, you don't experience anything like like that. Um, so I had basically no knowledge of what to do. With. And 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 in in obviously in your 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 part of the Rippers, and because of the the point system, because of the the qualifying, you're being relegated. Yeah. But you'd be looking forward to the just to. Just to maybe explain to the listeners, you you can go back to a one-off tournament in a few weeks' time, and you can you can make your way back onto that team, can't you? Yeah, so it's essentially like a pure score tournament. They call it a promotions event, which I think confuses people a little bit. The relegation system is basically all it is is a gain or a loss of cards. You no, know, like it's. Um, like every other tour school, obviously bottom four this year got relegated, so I was one of those bottom four. And I've got an event now at the end of the year back on the back of the Aussie Open to get my spot back, hopefully on that team, and yeah, play alongside the boys again next year. And, and to put it in perspective, you know, looking at that, looking at that list, and we we talk about the fact that there's 
you know, there's 15 Ryder Cuppers or close to. There's, you know, 25 major winners. It's a field of 48. And you look at the quality of a guy like Lee Westwood, and you would have finished similar to him over this year. Is that is that fair to say as far as your points? Yeah. Yeah, so you look yeah, at a guy like that. Yeah. yeah. And, and and like you finished ahead of a guy like Martin Kamer. It's a very yeah. it's a tough school, isn't it? Really, to be relegated. Oh yeah. I, like, I didn't realise how tough it was gonna be. Like uh yeah, you definitely don't give that that stage enough credit. Like we watch yeah. it on T V and it's like spectators listen and watch and see articles and all this stuff but they don't understand fully how hard it is to get a golf shot while you're shaking. Like it's, um those guys have play golf on the biggest circumstances I think that you can play in and, um, yeah you definitely don't give it enough credit until you're actually there and in the battle with it sort of thing so I think the tricky thing was sometimes when you're in that field you've just kind of got to convince yourself that um, you can beat these guys that have more runs on the board than you so yeah and, and clearly you have that you have that that not intimidatory um, aspect to your personality which is which is fantastic and uh, it, it sounds like you had that even before you started your, your first event with Lou. Yeah, I, I just don't think it's a very... Um, that off, but I think when you're intimidated, it shows, you know, like you've just got to act like you're not and hold yourself together, I think. That's, in reality, you are obviously intimidated. You've just got to basically know that that's part of what mm. you're doing to get over emotions like that. I suffered a few emotions as a kid. Um, that's held me a good stead, I think, dealing with situations like that, mainly anxiety. Right. Um, okay. So I think that was a big thing. And at the time, I obviously hated it when I was a kid because I was scared of these things that weren't real sort of thing. And, mm. um, yeah, I think your brain just figures it out. You know, like, yeah, you've come from the other side of it. understand yeah, you just you realise that time pretty much heals mm, everything mm. if you do the right thing by yourself and by others. So, um, yeah, I think that's and they're what, the things that I've kind of drawn off. And what's the te- what's the team dynamic like? Just in the in the locker room and with Cam and Leash and Matt and practice rounds. And you're obviously a great mate of Cam's. Yeah, it, it's you, you know just my observation. It looks like a a great a great sort of environment. Do you, do. You, do you get much advice from those guys when you're out there playing? Yeah, that, they were great. Oh, I was lucky. I was, we were easily, I think, the best team dynamic that Liv had to offer, I think. Um, we're all great mates. Like, I've known Cam, obviously. I didn't know Jonesy or Leaf too well, but they're great blokes and, and they're good to go into battle with. We obviously, I got to know their families very well, which I'm... Which I'm um, yeah, very happy about it. And you guys, and you won in Bed- Bedminster, I think you won, didn't you? Yeah, Bedminster, we had our first win. So the boys, they believe me um, definitely more than I believe myself. So it's time for me to catch up and mm-hmm. basically start telling myself the things that they tell me. And oh, They've been great. The way Jonesy and then Leash and stuff have been to me all year and how supportive they've been in camps, obviously, just a great role model to look to and how, how to put up with tough situations because he wins. Like he's won a couple of events this year where it hasn't been that pretty, and he's easily the toughest mentally in the world. What What do you reckon it is with Cam? Like, what What's the X factor he's got? Like, what? Like, he's obviously a hell of a player, but he he just has this amazing ability to be able to play with what he's got and compete. What What do you reckon when he's it got? Really matters. Yeah. the most important. Yeah. What times. Do you, What do you see with him? I think. Uh, yeah. I haven't been playing golf long enough, I think, or sport long enough to be able to comment on what he's got because I just, I don't really know. I've seen it obviously firsthand, but his mind's just, his mind's a steel trap, you know, mm-hmm. like he, he loves, he's so good at blocking things out um, and making nothing else the problem apart from what he's like a six foot putt in front of him, so. Yeah. Um, blocking out probably not the right term, he just, he just knows that everything just, Everything comes to the price, I think. So if you want to do this at the highest level, you've got to be willing to suffer for stuff that you don't want to suffer. And he just, he frosts it. He just loves that stuff. And that's, that's what, I definitely didn't have that as a kid. I didn't um, have that growing up because I, just, I didn't 
when you're having practice, when you're having practice rounds with him, Jed, does he does he play as well? You know, when he when the when there's no pressure on, I'm, I'm sure you play have side bets or something going all the time. But do, does he does he putt as well as he does when he's, yeah, he when he's under the pump? As well. Yeah, yeah, always putts that well. He, okay. de- he definitely he gets better as the week goes on. He's always pretty ordinary at the start of the week. You're right, you're right. Throwing a few loose swings at it, um, but when it's time to go, yeah, there's no one that does it better at the moment. I think um, he's in some very high uh, high company. I think at the top of the world in his sport, mm-hmm. so he's um, he believes exactly how good he is. You know, so that's that's, a, that's kind of a big secret. What about the the format of, of live, uh, Jed? The the three rounds, the shotguns, um, music. I guess you're used to it now, but you know when you first started it, the music. Yeah, God, the music is spelt out. How was that in Adelaide? Yeah, mm. it's very like it's changed golf. Um, I think hopefully forever because it's it's a great, it's such an awesome uh, format. Like we hit on the range together. We're, we're listening to music basically. It's, it's tricky because it is so stimulating the whole time you're at the golf tournament. Yeah. Like, you know, and what's it like hitting off that point, party hole, like in Adelaide, too. that party hole, the par three? That was just incredible. Like, I'm I'm nervous watching, let alone yeah. like like I know the the famous sixteenth hole, hole. It's in TPC Scottsdale. Yeah, in yeah. the waste management. That's the famous hole. But that that hole in Adelaide, what was that like hitting off? Crazy. I've never shaken that much over <laughs> There it is. And it's a hundred and what fifty metre par three, isn't it? Yeah, you're hitting a nine on, even though yeah. it's too long. Like, <laughs> the green is so small in Adelaide, it's yeah. like eight metres wide. Um from and then obviously it's long and there's a couple of tiers, so it's a tricky it's a very, very tricky hole. Um but the stand came in so close, you just mm. it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. I'm, I'm so happy that I got to experience something. Like and do you guys get to pick the song that you're playing? Like the, when you play the shot, do the players get to pick their song that's going to be played on that tee, or is that just random? Yeah, yeah, we got to pick our song. Um, they did the same thing in Chicago as well. So, um, yeah, it was pretty, too, pretty hectic. The one in Chicago was a bit longer and. Even bigger stands again didn't oh, go off as much because the Aussie crowds are they're pretty tidy they're good. Um, so what yeah, song? What song, mate? I just did um, like a. It, I don't even know if you boys know. It's a bit <laughs> We're too old. <laughs> <laughs> there might be a listener. There's, there's, hopefully, there's more than two of us listening to what you're saying. <laughs> it was just this Aussie DJ that has this. Um, it's a bit of a crazy song. It's nothing that I really listen to, but I it, for the moment it was perfect. Okay, what's his name? Give him a plug. Hooligan Heft, his name is. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah no, so no, no, you, you were right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have that in 86 and the 86. Yeah, no, Andy, no, no, Andy no. knows him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a good, yeah. He's got a couple of good tunes out, and I just thought that'd be perfect to throw an Aussie out there with me. Hey, were, were you, how far away when, um, were you when Kepka had the hole in one? Chase Kepka had the, the ace. Uh, I was on the 15th. And oh, okay. we knew straight away. I'd basically the shot before I just hit. I'd nearly hold my shot on that hole as a par four from about 110 meters, right. and then I hit that. And I basically my ball landed, and then that hole just went off. Yeah. Off okay. So you obviously you you know Royal Queensland. You've won around there. What about the Aussie? Do you know much about the Aussie? Have you played much golf at the Australian? Yeah, played a little bit. I came down a few weeks ago to basically dust the course out and do some stuff down there, obviously. And, then and does that look does that look like a course that will suit your game? I think so, yeah. Obviously got a bit of advice from you that, that week, obviously, guys. So, was, yeah, it was good. I just think that you hit it a long way. Like, I was... I was you know, it's amazed when I was watching you on... Obviously, I've been to many, many live events and how strong you are, but it's it's not, not like you go at it that hard. You're just a big guy. You know, you you, yeah. you look like you should be playing the NRL, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. wouldn't go that far, but yeah. <laughs> but but I, I think that the Australian, traditionally, the winners there, if I look back, it's a it's everyone sees it as a ball striker's golf course, but you've got to have a pretty good short game. You've got to be pretty artistic and... It's not super strict off the tee. As you know, the courses that you're playing, when you yeah. get on the tees at the Aussie, a lot of them would look like an airstrip to you. And the, yeah, the, well, yeah, yeah. 
but it's 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 actually the irons and the navigating your way around the where the pins are. So it, it looks to me that those sort of players that are very like a Cam Smith. I think Cam's been close a couple of times around there. Uh, I think even even Brett Rumford when Brett would come and play there, coming from Europe, he 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 he'd enjoy it around there. So yeah, with your short game as well as your length, I think it should set up pretty well for you. Yeah, if I do the right things and if I focus properly, I think. And yeah, I mean, any golf course, I can, I can play golf. I, I like to believe and I want to be a player that can play definitely on every golf course. When I went and travelled a lot, I felt that Bedminster was a really hard course. Like, obviously, I'm yeah. not playing it. I'm just looking at it. And you did well around there this time, didn't you? Like, you shot five or six under one round, didn't you? Yeah, the last round shot five under and had a blow out a bit in the, in the uh, second round. First round ended up growing down a good one, one over. Yeah, so you can um, definitely play strong golf courses. Oh, yeah, strong golf courses is where I should excel, to be honest. Length is a, is a pretty big advantage, and when you come out of pretty thick rough, I should excel definitely in longer golf courses. And I need to tighten up my game when it comes to the shorter and smaller golf courses, so that's the biggest lesson, I think. So, if we, the so, so if, and the smaller if we can get you at, like, 25 to 1 at the Aussie, is that a good bet? Like I that? think so. so. Yeah. <laughs> Gamble responsibly, all right, everyone? Yep. Hopefully every bet on me is a bet, good bet. <laughs> Jed, we're talking to you, 23 years old. It's the beginning of, a, of obviously, a magnificent career. We're very grateful that you've yeah, come I, on I our think, show. I think, I think he can be a, definitely a top 50 He's player up in the there. world. He's up there, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, and and that's that's a big thing. People would say many years ago, you, you know, you don't realise how, how well you've done to get to that point. Yeah, he, can, yeah. he, can, he can. He's definitely got that game, yep. and he's so young. Thanks, so, Jed. Thanks for being part yeah. of Backspin, mate. Yeah, thanks. No thanks for talking to us. Thanks for that. Thanks, thanks mate. Bye. Now, the Backspin product review. Gary, with Christmas coming up, mm-hmm. let's be sexist for a second. Let's say if you're a wife and listening and you want to keep your husband out of the house for a bit longer mm-hmm. by improving his game, then the Apex Utility Wood that I tried the other day is the perfect present, Gary. That's to keep them in the game. I think to put them out of the game, you buy a 60-degree wedge with no bounce and a really sharp leading edge. Yeah, that would do it. I think by probably mid-January, I think by mid-January they'd be sort of... They can get dangerous (laughs) since people could get hurt. In fact, when on my Christmas list goes, I want a sandwich that you can't blade. I want it with a rubber leading edge. So if you do blade it, it won't hurt anyone. Actually... Because I've nearly killed. I nearly killed two good mates of mine the other day. You should patent that idea. It was out of a bunker. The bunker was a bit firm. And sure enough, they were stupid enough to just be standing <laughs> behind the flag. Anyway, the Callaway Apex Utility Wood, Gary, I've been trying for a few years now to try and plug up the gap in my set. And I'm doing it for the listeners as well, because I think a lot of people have the same issue. The gap between my three wood and my four iron. Four iron, 21 degrees, I believe. Three wood, 15 degrees. It's too much gap. I've experimented with the Srixen Utility Iron, and that was great. Put a graphite shaft in it to give me a bit more torque and spin, and it worked beautifully. The hybrid, the um, Callaway, uh, it was a, the a Callaway Paradigm, sorry, for, for hybrid. Great, loved it. But I felt with the iron, it was falling out of the air a little bit too soon. I felt like the hybrid, and I've said this before, the head's so small, very upright, you know, and it's easy to hit and, and draw for the people that, 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 you know, struggle to get the ball off the ground with a long iron and want to draw the ball, the Paradigm Hybrid was absolutely perfect. The the Srixen 3-iron was great if you didn't want to hook it or spin it too much, just hit it out flat into the wind, it was great. But I'm still searching, still looking for something in the middle. So I tried the new Apex Utility Wood. Uh, this is the 2224 model, and it's when I say Utility Wood, it's exactly what it is. It's in between a 5-fairway wood and a hybrid so it's sort of it's a slightly bigger version of a hybrid or slightly smaller version of a five wood the difference with it though is when you put it down it definitely looks more hybridy than fairway woodish but it's also an inch or so shorter than a five wood in length so it's like a hybrid but it's slightly just a bit longer in a shaft so it comes out when i hit it first thing i noticed was it definitely goes a long way and it really after two or three hits then i happened to center a couple in fact, it was after 20 hits, but I did center a couple out of the 20, and I just went too far for what I was looking for. But it led me to another club or another path for people that might struggle, and I do, to get my three-wood off the ground if it's, it's sitting a bit tight on a fairway, if it's maybe in the first cut of rough. 
I struggle with a three-wood to get it in the air. Yeah, you, need, you, need, it. you need an appropriate amount of speed to... Yes, to get it up. Yeah, to get which is most the juice bad, out of the lemon for a three-wood. Bad term. I should have used but I could word it that better. So this thing, this this wood, this utility wood, it just, just went straight up in the air. It was beautiful. Um, but it went about as far as I would expect a five... And I had a 19 degree one. They come in 17. So, I, you know, if, you, if you're you, you're, you're saying you'd almost replace your three-wood with that. I'd, I'd, I'd definitely consider it, yes. I'd definitely consider losing my three-wood and getting a 17 and maybe a 19 in this, in these. Yeah, like I, I do, obviously I do a lot of, lot of instruction and I teach a lot of members that play between 10 and 30 handicap. And the reality is, is that in that range, if someone is normally between 40 years of age and 70 years of age, the three-wood is just a, almost a pointless club. Mm. Getting that, isn't it? Getting like if you, yeah, if you're, not, if you're not getting your speed up, you know, we talk about club head speed, ball speed, but if you're not getting your club head speed up with a three-wood at least 80 miles an hour, mm. which, which, is, which is a stretch for a lot of us, mm. you're not getting the value out of it. How often does the average player hit a three-wood off a tee? I mean, if you're not long... I'm not very long anymore. Well, never really was, but I'm definitely not long. So I'm not, I don't find myself hitting a three-wood off a tee anywhere. Yeah, the thing I find at the Aussie, and I'm only, this is a small sample, it's just the Australian Golf Club. Our par threes there, the, the four of them, are very similar in length. And I'll often get, you know, the players that I'm teaching, they'll, they'll require a club that can navigate to about 170 metres, mm. something like that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure everyone at their own golf clubs will be looking at the par threes. But as far as thinking about hitting a three-wood off the fairway and landing on the green or... Yeah, it doesn't work. No, does just it? forget about it. doesn't it. exist. No, so, yeah, you've, you've virtually got to tailor your set for the where you're playing most of your golf at. They also, this particular club, they also use AI technology. Now, you know, artificial intelligence, which sounds like a bit of a marketing spiel, but the reality of that is far more significant than just um, something to say, to, to sell a golf club. It actually is real. They had, uh, it's something like 50,000 hits recorded on a computer they're not they're not by a robot they're by real golfers real people from from choppers to to pros and they gauged every single mark on the faces and and on the back of the face they have strengthened all the areas the most common areas where you will miss hit a ball and they're doing it with their with their driver which i can't talk about just yet but probably already the paradigm have as well it means that they then create a club for a for a a market, a, um, a separate market of someone who you know hits the ball very short, might be a decent player, hits the ball very short, but always gets the ball a bit high on the toe. The person who really struggles, who might get the ball low on the heel, that club head will be designed slightly differently to the other club head, but it will have this um, this the technology in the face, this AI face. And when you look at the back of it, I saw pieces of it carved up. You can see all these humps and hollows and bumps and things on the back to go exactly behind where the miss hits are coming from. It's, it's astonishing. I couldn't miss hit this thing. You know, it was. I mean, I could miss hit the living daylights out of it. Well, I'd, I'd be definitely. Get, I looked up and it was just going the same. You'd like to. You'd like to get that for Christmas. Well, wouldn't you? It would definitely keep hubby out there longer, and then, and but keep him away from that sixty degree wedge when they would bounce. Mm. This is a winner for me. It didn't quite fit into what I was looking for, but for, you know, but that's just from fairway a, that's a wood replacement. It mm. is. It is gold. Yeah, that's just from how far it goes. Yeah, it just went a little too far. But it's a fantastic golf club, and um, it's going to be a huge success for Callaway. I know. Guys, we'll be back with a. Something of a positive spit. Gary Rory McIlroy announced through the week that he was standing down from the PGA Tour policy board. That's the players board, the decisions they make. And given what's happened to him over the last few years, defending the PGA Tour against the evil live, in inverted commas, it was a tough gig. You know, he was playing some of his best golf, trying to win and being interviewed every time he went to a golf course, you know, the media were all over him about the, the live golf. And, and then all of a sudden, uh, Jay Monaghan has a strange, weird, clandestine meeting with PIF people from Saudi Arabia. There's a merger announced. Rory clearly had the shits about it. And uh, I think since then, he's been trying to find a way off the board and he's done his time. So he's off the board. But during his speech to the media about why he was getting off the board, he was asked what he would like to see in the future for golf, the golf land given this money is going to be coming into the PGA Tour. How can it be best spent? His straight-up reaction was, I would love to see more national opens then become more significant. And then he went straight to the Australian Open as an example of a tournament that had so many magnificent names. The Gary Players, you know, seven times, six, six times Jack Nicholas, Arnold Palmer, some of the greats. And that was obviously because there was an IMG arrangement with Dunlop Legends, but it doesn't matter. They were playing and their name's on the cup. Rory would love to see that tournament significant again. 
regain its significance. Some of this, and I'm suggesting, he's suggesting that some of the money that's being spent could be made available to the Australian Open and, and maybe even part of the PGA Tour. What are your thoughts? Our Australian Open, like we're, we're very passionate about it, but it was always looked at like the fifth major. This is going back to, you know, the, the mid-80s. The, as you said, you mentioned the names on that trophy. Then the Players' Championship came along before that, but the Players' Championship came along and that, that assumed that, you yeah, know, the fifth major. Fifth major. That's, and that's, that's understandable. But the Australian Open, inside the ropes with the players, Jordan Spieth, Rory, they wanted to come here and win that championship because of that history and that legacy to have their name on that trophy. And as time's gone by and PJ Tour got bigger and then the money that we were playing for, it's definitely been watered down a little bit. I was pleased to hear Rory say that. It still shows that even when Matt won, I was surprised in whether it was 215 or 219, which is fairly recent, just players would watch that in the States and they'd yeah. watch the coverage of the Australian Open and their interest in the Australian Open. And when Nick Hardy was playing last year and I said oh Nick you should come back and play the Aussie Open he said oh yeah that'd be amazing I will and he's come back to play yeah that's great isn't it now he's not getting any money to come and play here mm. you know he's just played six in a row he finished today in Sea Island he gets on a plane in two days time and he's really looking forward to coming back here and playing here because he, he really wants his name on that trophy mm. and then it's not even about the money yep. he'd be playing for a third of what he just played for last week it was all appearance money back then the Dunlop Schlesinger as I said and the IMG Mark McCormick that was a, there was an association there that, that they were getting money to come and play. Roger mentioned it when we were talking about it with him, that yeah, it's just, and when we the have, money's just not there. They can't pay these And when we do, do have those marquee players, I think when Tiger came down here, it's a government-funded appearance fee. Yep. I think we had the President's Cup here in maybe 2010. I'm probably wrong. 2012, whatever that year was. We had the whole President's Cup team, mm. US team, playing at the lakes. We did. It was magnificent. And event, I think it? that was a New South Wales government, Sports New South Wales initiative yes. to pay for that. Unless that happens, we're not going to get those sort of fields. Rory's comment was more about how do we do it. Yeah, and you look at that field in Adelaide for live. Yeah. And you look at Dustin Johnson, Brooks yep. Kepke, Louis, all those players. So... Clearly, if that vision becomes a reality, that would be amazing mm, for mm. golf in Australia. And to, to get that trophy back with the profile that we would love it to get back. I think we're a chance, you know. I'm a classic negative pessimist. If you can be a negative <laughs> pessimist, I'm sure there's a positive pessimist. But yeah, I think this is going to happen. I reckon that something's going to come of this. And it's going to come from the PGA Tour. It's going to come from that money that's coming from Saudi Arabia. Gary, we're finished. Thank you to our guests, Dan Cook from uh, the Australian Golf Club. Yeah, Dan was good. Roger Davis, Jed Morgan. I've had a great time. Uh, yeah, it's good. It's a good show. Always love your insight. And we'll be back right after the Australian Open. Thank you, Andy. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, listeners. Thanks, listeners.